Welcome to All Your Favorite Music is Probably, where we take a themed dive into popular songs and unearth the connections, like when you realize Wolverine's also a song and dance man. I'm your host, Mark Montgomery French, music culture writer, film composer, and Reese's Peter Butter Cup enthusiast. Today's theme is All Your Favorite Music is Probably Bizarrely Detroit, and my guest is music nerd and fat positive blogger Brianna Hernandez. Hello! How's it going, Mark? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so happy that you're here, because I think about how much you enjoy the flamboyance and bizarreness that exists in the world. Oh, God, absolutely. I mean, yes, there is a time and place for Boring, soothing, pleasant music. I'm a huge John Denver fan. I love him. But um, yeah, I gravitate towards the bizarre. And wouldn't you know, a lot of it comes out of Detroit. It does. And when I think of music scenes, I think of the slickness of L.A. And I think of the down-home grooviness of New Orleans. And I think of the bizarre to the extreme levels of the great musicians that come out of Detroit. Detroit also had Motown which is very smooth. But the majority of what's come out after Motown is pretty much 10 on a 10 scale. It goes to 11, the bizarreness <laughs> that comes out of that town. And one of my favorite groups is the extended family known as Parliament Funkadelic. Absolute. Who And right now it is the end of July I believe yesterday was George Clinton's 80th birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Clinton. And every time when I was a young lad and I would see a parliament or a funkadelic record or see them on TV, I'm like, what's going on? And this is the 70s. And not just with his hair. No. What's going on? <laughs> Even in the 70s, they stood out. Why is there a man playing guitar in a diaper? <laughs> That I did not know. Oh, my God. And no one on stage is looking at him oddly because the man next to him is wearing a wedding dress. No, no, we're good. Everything's good. That's just two of the people. And all of their songs were nutty. They also had an incredible amount of talent. Absolutely. So even when they would sing nonsense songs, it would be sung in three or four part gospel harmony, completely on the beat. All of the musicians were the best. Frank Zappa tried to steal Funkadelic to become the new mothers of invention. Did he? They said no. It makes sense. But yeah. but Frank knows talent. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember when I was a young kid, it's 1982-83, I'm on my way to school, and there's a song I've never heard before. It sounds bouncy. There's people panting on the track. The drums are backwards. Someone's singing Bow Wow Wow, Yippee Yo, Yippee Yay. And of course, I'm in school going, I can dig with this. And that <laughs> song was Atomic Dog. And it was by George Clinton, but everything by George Clinton or Parliament or Funkadelic is the same 16, 17 people. Yeah, absolutely. And my mom with that song as a kid was the Boomerang soundtrack, that movie that I was allowed to watch entirely too young. So much adult content in that movie. But um, I told a friend of mine uh, that when we saw the mo uh, that movie in the theater, she's like, oh, your mother just uh, wanted you to appreciate black love. And I don't know if that was her. Um, I don't know if that was her, you know, agenda, but uh, but I do. So it worked. So without further ado, I will play George Clinton's Atomic Dog. This is a story of famous dogs. 
For the dog that tends its tail will be busy. He's a happy dog, rhythmic dog, harmonic dog, house dog, stick dog, dog of the world unite, dancing dogs. was Atomic Dog by George Clinton. For all you nasty dogs out there. Totally. Uh, Black Radio had its own view of what pop music was, and although that song did not make the big pop chart, that knocked out Billie Jean. Amazing, and it makes so much sense, but also, wow. (laughs) Also, I got to tell you how much I love pulling out that little gem when I'm talking to white kids about Parliament, because they... love to flex on some parliament knowledge but they've never somehow heard this song it's like listen i understand like you want to you know the 70s is your happy place but Mm -hmm. you got to branch out into that early 80s and there there are some sweet spots that that's so fun i can see them like well i don't want to buy that copy of glory house to because that's a reprint from yeah i can just see the rabbit hole of like yeah but 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 but, i blow a microchip oh my gosh speaking of dogs 
I know we could do a whole dog show. I, I was actually going to ask if this podcast was about your favorite music is probably all about dogs, uh, which I believe there's yeah, a lot of dog content out there. A lot of dog content that we need to actually bring that all out. I Want to Be Your Dog was from the debut album by the Stooges, a.k.a. where most people first ran into Iggy Pop. And where most people learn how much stamina they have in holding a single piano key over and over again. Do you know how many times I've tried to do that throughout the whole song? It hurts. It literally hurts. You know, they all were about feeling that pain, though, weren't they? <laughs> Producer John Kale's like, come on, we can do this. For those of you who have not witnessed the beauty of the Stooges, we're talking a group that came out in 69. We're talking when the Beatles were sort of packing it up, and it was very American, and it was very in-your-face aggressive about alienation, and it was not smooth. It was what you had with some garage bands in America. 96 Tears by Question Mark and Mysterians with a song from a band in the Detroit metro area. So that sort of attack was happening. But no one really had these heavy riffs in a sludge-like manner that were so repetitive. Much like the factories of Detroit. Right. Like the Stooges. Right. And of course, nothing sounded like this. And nobody liked it. Yep, we're talking proto-punk here. You know, way before even punk. And uh, for those of you who have not seen the Stooges documentary, I will put a link to that in the show notes. But it points out that almost all modern music, alternative rock, college rock, could point back to, if not the Stooges themselves, but this song. So I want to play for you, I Want to Be Your Dog by the Stooges.
And that was I Want to Be Your Dog by the Stooges. And again, when they came out in 69, nothing sounded like this. And now a lot of people sound like this. Absolutely. And they got it there first. I want to share with you a person who was somewhat streamlined now, but wasn't back in the day. It's a bass player and producer named Don Was. And Don Was is now the president of Blue Note Records, the jazz label. I got to tell you, when I saw this on your list, I had never heard of this band. And the first picture I saw of them was with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I was like, okay, yes. I'm sold here. Spotify really needs to change up some of those I pictures. Know. <laughs> I know, I got all excited. I'm like, is this a passion project from these comedy geniuses? But no, it is not. It's not. Uh, but it did give me some major ween vibes. So I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> into it. <laughs> Don was became really famous when he decided to become essentially a big shot producer. So he produced Born and Raised by John Mayer. He produced Nick of Time for Bonnie Raitt. He produced uh, Half of Cosmic Thing by B-52s. Oh, wow. So he gets around. I think he did one of the last Stone Temple Pilots albums. Oh, dang. But before this, he was one half or one fourth of a crazy Detroit soul hipster group called Was Not Was. So imagine this is the band. You've got two Jewish white hipsters writing all the music with the bizarre lyrics and two straight up R&B soul singers who can sell every word line, every word idea its band comes up with. The one song you may know about them is Walk the Dinosaur because that was the one bizarrely had a international hit with that. Oh, wow. I still don't know what Walk the Dinosaur is about. <laughs> but, I don't think we're allowed to. But they sing it so well. Oh, man. So not only do they have two wonderful soul singers, but they also bring in other guests to sing on the track. So if you go through Wasn't That Was albums, you'll find Mel Torme singing a song, mm -hmm. or Leonard Cohen, or my favorite, Frank Sinatra Jr. <laughs> awesome. He and wasn't busy. So in 1983, they decide they want to record a song involving rap. Now, rap has been around on record for years, so they're kind of ahead of the curve on this. Mm -hmm. And... 1983, I'm not sure who was the best rapper in Detroit. And all the raps are about impossibilities or things that are hard. So they went and got Ozzy Osbourne. Excuse you. Ozzy Osbourne is the lead singer slash rapper <laughs> on the song I'm going to play for you now. So this is Was Not Was with Ozzy Osbourne, Shake Your Head.
was Shake Your Head by Was Not Was and guest vocals by John Ozzy Osbourne. And rather impressive, if I may say. I don't think he could reprise that role these days, um, but he certainly nailed it back then. There are so many bizarre stories of how this happened. I do know this. There was a house remix of this song with Kim Basinger on extra vocals that got to number four in England. (laughs) What? Again, nothing sounds like this. Did I tell you I met Ozzy? No. Okay, so it's 87. It was when the Randy Rhodes tribute album came out. Oh, yeah. Right? So he's going to radio stations talking about the album. Randy Rhodes was his guitar player. Randy Rhodes died in an airplane accident. He's a beautiful little man. Uh, So he's around talking about Randy Rhodes. Afterwards, he's doing an autograph session. So I bring him a 12-inch promotional copy of this song. <laughs> and he goes, oh, what's that? And I go, well, it's the song you did with Wasn't That Was. Huh? <laughs> the, the song, you're on this song, this, Shake Your Head, you did, oh, oh, he signs it. I don't remember it. Oh, cocaine's a heck of a drug. Lovely man. I mean, I, you could totally tell he loves people and that he likes being around, he likes being happy. And 87, yeah, he was... Um, a bit under the weather. Yeah. But a lovely man. And yeah, I, I think I helped uh, explain to him some things that, that he's done in life. Yeah. So I'm, I'm taking credit for that. Can you imagine being in his shoes and they're like, you had, you had a whole decade here, Oz. Um, you remember that? No, just plum dump that one. <laughs> no, and didn't mind. I'm sure it wasn't the first time he signed something he didn't remember doing. <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> when we plan to talk about bizarre creatures that come from the depths of Detroit. And not to talk about Insane Clown Posse, but I will. Oh, dang. <laughs> By the way, I'm not going to play it because, frankly, I can't play it on public radio. There is a song, Insane Clown Posse, that was produced by Jack White of the White Stripes. It is a hip-hop cover of a Mozart piece. And I can't say the my name on the right air. right now, my God. <laughs> I cannot say the name on the air. It's in German, and I still can't say the name on the air. Because <laughs> you just can't say it? it <laughs> <laughs> I took a couple years of German, maybe I can help Because out. one of the words still sounds filthy. Okay, okay. I think I know it. which one it is. <laughs> um, yes, but it is quite miraculous. Even they were surprised Jack White wanted to work with them. Yeah. <laughs> 
but when I think of the other rap artists known from being from Detroit, I think of Eminem. Mm. And Eminem got so big, he did what every rapper does when they get enough power and money. They do a posse album. There you go. All the other people came up with them. Let's go do it. You know, it was Nelly and the St. Lunatics. And there was all the Rough Riders with DMX. And with Eminem, it was D12. You got to flex the entourage at some point. And also, you know, talk about the responsibility of white artists who come up and sharing that wealth. With yes. people who have, you know, have bolstered them by simply existing and not getting the credit they deserve. So props to him for that as well. So he did two albums with D12, and one of them had a song called My Band, which is pretty funny because Eminem's known for incredibly vivid and violent and petty songs with <laughs> intricate raps and sort of a boundary-free lyrical content. And here he's just plain funny. Right. And here he's just basically making fun of the fact that people think he's the lead singer of the band. Right. And the band is all commenting how it's awful that they don't get the credit and they're being jealousy and petty on the same track. Right. I might as well nip that in the bud right now because it's going to happen. Yes. So. yes. Which kind of makes sense because, you know, Eminem dissed Dre on Dre's own song. So, being, <laughs> you know, having pettiness happen on Wax is fantastic. And... No rap sounds like this. This wasn't a thing. He wasn't following a trend. It didn't sound like any other Eminem songs or any other hip-hop songs of its time. Nothing sounded like this. Yeah, and and weirdly, it instantly took me back to that time, too. Like, it wasn't a zeitgeist, you know, piece of music, but it did certainly stick out. Excellent. And now we're going to play My Band by D12. I don't know, dude. I think everybody's all jealous and... Cause I'm like the lead singer of the band, dude. And I think everybody's got a freaking problem with me, dude. And they need to take it up with me after the show. Because these chicks don't even know the name of my band. But they're all on me like they want to hold hands. Cause once I blow, they know that I'll be the man. All because I'm the lead singer of my band. So I get off stage, right? Drop the mic. Walk up to these hot chicks and I'm all like... What's up, ladies? My name's Slim Shady. I'm the lead singer of D12, baby. They're all like, oh my god, it's him. Becky, oh my freaking god, it's him. I swear to freaking god, dude, you freaking rock. Please, won't you please let me know by now. The rest of the fellas get jealous, especially when I drop the beat and do my acapellas. All the chicks start yelling, all the hot babes, all the bras and the shirts and the panties on stage. So like every single night, they pick a fight with me. But when we fight, it's kind of like sibling rivalry. Because they're back on stage the next night with me. Dude, I just think they're trying to steal the light from me. Yesterday, Kanava tried to pull a knife on me. Because I told them Jessica Albert's my wife to be. This rock star is the life for me. And all the other guys just despise me because these chicks don't even know the name of my band. But they're Just want to 
see it backwards, don't you? Hey, Dad, how come we don't rap off proceeds? Smash these vocals and do a performance. But we in a van and he in a tour bus. You know I'm an autograph, you's a liar. And, uh, I'm swift. Oh, I thought you were conniving. What the hell is wrong with our dressing room? Cause I should look smaller than a decimal. See, I know how to rap. It's simple, but all I did was read a Russell Simmons book. So I'm more intact, trying to get on the map, doing jumping jacks while getting whipped on my back. Look at them little punk thinking he the Yeah, I know, man. By himself taking on a flip. Hey, I thought we had an interview with DJ Clue. No, I had an interview, not you two. You're gonna be late for sound check. I ain't going to sound check. Nah, Mike's is screwed and up. Here's always sound best. You know what, man? I'm gonna say something. Hey, yo, L, you got something to say? Man, man. I thought you was about to tell him off, man. What's up? Man, I'm gonna tell him what I feel like it, man. Shut up. You ain't even backing me up. We're supposed to be cool. Man, I was about to talk right after you. I, I swear. Know, I swear, man. Don't even know the name of my band. But they're all on me like they want to hold When some sold out arenas to amusement parks I'm gonna let the world know that proof is hot I should cut his mic off when the music starts Ready to snap on a dumbass fan Every time I hear Hey dude, I love your band We ain't a band We don't play instruments So I get 90 and we only get 10% And these guys acting funny every area cold Proof game, I'm back Carry on, can't make it to the stage Security in my way Hey yo, Damn it, I'm sick of this group. Time for me to go solo and make some loot. I told you I made the beats and run all the raps to a con artist. Slip me some. Lose yourself video. I was in the back. Superman video. I was in the back. For the media, I got some suggestions. Marshall, ask us the questions like who is D12? How we get started? But what about Eminem? Are you retarded? Anyway, I'm the poppiest guy in the group. Big stomach, just think I'm cute. But he told me to do sit-ups to get buff. Did two and a half and couldn't get up. D12, I'm out of this band. I'm about to start a group with the real Roxanne. Cause once I blow, I know that I'll be the man Yeah All because I'm the new sweet <laughs> The man, the man, the man, the man, the man, the man, the Where'd everybody go? And that was my band by D12, a featuring a person named Bizarre. <laughs> you know? How bizarre is that? How bizarre. Now, I want to take you way back, way before Boomerang for you, mm -hmm. into the 40s and the big booming sound out of Detroit was the blues. Some of you might remember this. There was a migration of freed slaves leaving the South, mm -hmm. moving toward any place that wasn't full of Jim Crow and lynch mobs. Right. And a lot of them settled in Detroit and was a booming blues scene. And one of the first guys to break out of Detroit was John Lee Hooker. Mm -hmm. And there were songs that were much smoother 
as the blues got more into the city. And he sat down with a guitar and a foot stomp. I believe his foot was on a pallet and just made this super primitive, almost caveman-like freeform song called Boogie Chillin'. Mm-hmm. There is nothing smooth about this at all. He's, <laughs> he's changing tempos. Mm-hmm. It's basically one chord, might be a partial another chord. He starts and stops. Nothing sounds like this. Yeah. Like everything else we're playing. And I want to play for you the song that blew minds, the song that was so big, he got to quit his job and become John Lee Hooker for realsies. Quit that day job. Boogie Chillin' by John Lee Hooker. was Boogie Chillin' by John Lee Hooker. Also, the most popular race record of 1949, 
Because that's what they used to call the R&B chart. Oh, man. The R&B chart has had so many names over the years. Uh, race records was mm-hmm. always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, rhythm and blues, the soul chart. My fave in the 80s, hot black singles. <laughs> no. Yeah, someone at Billboard thought that was a good term. Oh, How could that po- God. I think right now it's a it's a urban contemporary. It's something. It's something. It's, something. it's always something. Oh, and check this out. During Motown's run at one point, they just stopped running it because Motown had such a hammerlock on the main chart. They felt there was no point in making a second R&B chart. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a Simone Biles kind of thing. Since you're yeah. doing really well, we're just going to prevent you from doing yeah, this thing. Yeah, we're just going to cut you off right at the knees. That'll help everyone. Oh, God. For those of you who are going, that Bookie Chillin' sounds familiar. If you've heard LaGrange by ZZ Top, they were mm, inspired by it all the way into a court case that they settled. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just, and no diss to ZZ Top, but they know who did it first. You know what you did. (laughs) Now, ZZ Top is a band that managed to really thrive in the 80s. With music videos, it was kind of surprising that any band that looked well like that with the sunglasses and the beards could be as smooth out of the 70s into the 80s. But, you know, MTV helped. Yeah, yeah. And, Always and, thought Sharp Dressed Man was just the most ironic, <laughs> 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 ironic song. Like, oh, okay. You have to appreciate a band more than any other band of that ilk who realized, you know what, guys? We're in show business. Right. And I'm going to have a furry guitar that does a 360 because I'm in show business. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And one of the people who understood from early on, I'm in show business, was Alice Cooper. Absolutely. You don't accidentally have blood and live snakes and onstage decapitations if you're not keenly aware. I'm putting on a show. Yeah. Yeah. The which, original shock rocker. Which, ex- which explains the top hat. <laughs> He did a song in 72 that was mind-blowing called Elected. And I know it's not strange now to imagine a supervillain winning an election for realsies. (laughs) But back in 72 was a kind of a bizarre idea. So he's talking about running for office and being your friend. And this was an international hit record. Yeah, You know, he's kind of orchestra in the back. And again, nothing sounded like this at all. Mm -hmm. And... Alice was born in Detroit. Alice got big, I believe, in Arizona. But Alice still loves Detroit. He has a new album, just came out this year, called Detroit Stories. He mm-hmm. knows he knows where his bread is buttered. And so I want to play for you Alice Cooper's Elected.
And that was elected by Alice Cooper straight from 1972. That got the top 10 in Europe. I think it was number 26 in America. But that was a hit, y'all, and nothing sounded like that. And I, I really like that song, but you know, it, it took me back. I, I ended up doing a deeper dive because I have some limited Alice references like, uh, I'm 18. Everyone knows that song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but going back to that first album, 69. So again, we're talking about existing alongside the Beatles and giving it that sort of compass. And it's like this is on another planet. I really, it made me uncomfortable to the degree that I felt like, okay, I, I need to come back to this in a different mind state. So I'm going to pop an edible and get real comfy with that record tonight. And so here's the funny part. Him coming out later with The Snakes in the Blood, that was him smoothing himself out. Those first right. two albums did not sell. They were not smooth. No. <laughs> they were not. And so I'm 18 and school's out and, and all the bizarreness that is how he managed to make it in america because the other stuff was too strange yeah yeah and that's isn't that the case you know you come out with this like unharnessed energy and then you gotta pull it back a little bit you gotta polish <laughs> it like okay okay let's get some clout for something i can do whatever the heck i want uh that's little nas x yeah oh my god right i'm a trojan horse all of this black queer stuff with uh i'll bring in miley's dad no one will see this coming uh-huh uh-huh. That's how I get in there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring up a Motown artist that actually is quite bizarre, but you don't think he is, which is Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye was a ladies' man. He crooned. He broke hearts. All the songs were smooth. Many of us were conceived to Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Until he got divorced. Mm. So Marvin was married to Barry Gordy. Barry Gordy owned Motown. Mm -hmm. His sister Anna was married to Marvin Gaye. Oh. So divorcing the sister of your label owner is already fraught with tension. Ooh. He also had a big cocaine problem. So there's issues there. Layers. So in March of 77, the decision was that I think half of the proceedings of his next album would go to his now ex-wife, as a settlement. Right. Which makes sense. He's coming off of Got to Give It Up. He's huge. Yeah. Marvin thinks, I'll do a crap album and just stay here. I was going to say, that's the time to get weird. <laughs> but but he didn't. He went stranger. He made a whole album about the divorce. Oh, man. Those breakup tracks. So good. A double album. Double album. <laughs> with the snarky title, Here, My Dear. Oh, man. He had songs called, When Did You Stop Loving Me? When Did I Stop Loving You? Oh, and it hurts. You can leave, but it's going to cost you. So imagine all I think the, I said that to my ex the other day. <laughs> <laughs> imagine getting divorced and imagine the Twitter shade and then taking all those Twitter shades and putting them to a backbeat. Mm-hmm. For four album sides. God, maybe I regret that my divorce is going so amicably. <laughs> I'm missing out on some real art. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into ruin it. Even the album packaging, he's, he's painted with a toga like a Roman on the front. The mm. gatefold is a Monopoly board with like on his side is a tape recorder and the grand piano. And his wife's side is a ring and a house. And you see him handing a record over the board to her. It, it's. He's it, he's insane. Wow. So We're really putting it all out there. Put it out there. Uh, there's one great couplet where he actually sings, somebody tell me, please, why do I have to pay attorney's fees? <laughs> uh, well, that's the question, Marvin. <laughs> that's the $1,000 question. Now, this album would be garbage, enough for the fact that it's brilliant. 
Right. Every song is is dead on. And again, nothing sounded like this. And I'm going to play for you the title track from this album. So this is Here, My Dear by Marvin Gaye. I guess I'll have to say this album is dedicated to you. Although perhaps I may not be happy. This is what you want. I've conceded. I would make you happy. There's a lot of truth in it, baby. I don't think I'll have many regrets, baby. Things didn't have to be the way they was, baby. You don't have the right to use a son of mine Keep me in mind One thing I can't do without Is the boy whom God gave to both of us I'm so happy Son of mine. So here it is. I hope you enjoy. Reminisce. Be happy. Think about the kisses and the joy. But there were those other moments too. Times cloudy and gray, bad. Ah, but you taught me that was life. May love ever possess you. May peace come into your life. This is what you wanted. Here, dear. Here it is. And that was the incredibly passive aggressive Here, My Dear by Marvin Gaye. I just want to read the first line so all of you hear it. He says, I guess I'll have to say this album is dedicated to you. Although perhaps I may not be happy, this is what you want. So I've conceded. I love it so much. I love the shade. Oh man, for the liner notes. If you're if you're feeling this uh divorce vibe, uh hit up uh, I think it's one of the last Dirty Projectors albums, because it is a Break a band breakup and a relation breakup, a relationship breakup album with a lyrics literally like, Why did you abandon me? And like, oh, so good, so good. Uh, I, I crave art, you wanted fame. Oh, Ooh. so shady. Oh my gosh. And you know what? There should be 
a whole show on just diss albums. Yes. Forget diss songs. That's easy. No, I want the entire piece to be how you ruined my life. <laughs> so I want to take this to where I think is the logical conclusion of bizarre bands from Detroit. And that is all about the White Stripes. Mm, Can yes. I just say, and I don't think it's because I'm a black dude, but a band with no bass is yeah. already saying something different. Yeah, absolutely. At, at a certain point, it wasn't because you couldn't afford a bass player. You're just like, this is the sound. This is the sound. So you have Jack White, fantastic guitar player. You have a drummer who is supportive. Mm-hmm. A drummer who used to be his wife, mm-hmm. who is now in the band, and they're pretending to be brother, brother and, sister. and sister. He takes her last name. Uh-huh. And they make a guitar-bass duo, sometimes on keyboards. There's no bass. No. And they dress only in black and white and red. And that's just the start of how bizarre White Stripes were. Yeah. I'm sure they didn't plan it this way, but if they did, it's genius to have an aesthetic and a sound that appears so small, but in reality is so large. It's it's like is are there dudes behind the curtain? What's going on here? Like this sound, just, it doesn't match what I'm seeing in front of me. Right, and to do basically blues. Right, right. I mean, there was always some blues bands at that time, but none with that sort of vision and focus and primacy. And again, nothing sounded like this. Right. So when I think about even a weirder statement from White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. That's simple. That's right. the one that you know. The little kids know, yeah. right? They play it in stadiums. I want to talk about a song that was accidentally their biggest hit in the U.S., and that is Icky Thump. When I was a young child, I used to watch public television. And one of the groups I saw, one of the shows I saw, was Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yes. There was also another contemporary comedy show by The Goodies. Three dudes who were also contemporaries of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. They all went to the same colleges. And they had more of a, almost a more childish silliness world. Where, where Python was making jokes about philosophy. Right. Uh, the goodies were making jokes about, I can't even remember, but other silly stuff. I'm sure there are farts in there. I'm sure there are. But they also had an episode, and again, this is the 70s when Bruce Lee is huge mm. and the whole world wants to be a karate master. Mm-hmm. They had an episode called Kung Fu Capers, and one of the members said that he was a master of the ancient Lancastrian art of self-defense called Ecky Thump, with an E. It basically was about running around and hitting people with blood sausages uh, (laughs) while wearing suspenders. Tracks. (laughs) So that was the inspiration. This obscure British show, which is on YouTube, obscure British show and their obscure fake martial art is what inspired this, you know, immigration foot stomp hoedown by the White Stripes. Amazing. Totally crazy. I'm going to play it. Icky Thump by the White Stripes.
And that was the extremely strange Icky Thump by the White Stripes. I can't even understand how someone played that raggedy, raggedy solo on the keyboard and went, yep, that's staying. Yeah. Can you? Can I tell you how much of a slut I am for that circuit bending sound? It, add it to anything. Just like as a little like <laughs> dash of salt and ooh, ooh. Good. Oh my gosh. Speaking of me shoving documentaries into every <laughs> broadcast of this show, there's a movie called, I believe it's called It Might Get Loud. Mm. It's Jack White, it's The Edge from U2, and Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. Okay. All showing each other how to play their riffs. Okay. And there's a scene where The Edge is. By his huge, massive, refrigerator-sized rack of devices, trying to get inspired. And then there's a scene of Jack White, who is cutting a piece of wood, <laughs> tying one string to it, putting a pickup in, and making a slide guitar. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's Jack White. Gotta love that. Right? Oh, it, it, man. He, he's so to the point. Yeah, yeah. So so that is uh, Detroit Weirdness in a Nutshell. I love the it. The bizarrity. Thank you for coming on my show, Brianna. Thanks for having me. I Absolutely. appreciate Everybody else, please come back next week where we will unveil another fun theme. Oh, and hey, I have dates. I have a new music course called The Completely Abridged History of Bay Area Music, which will be online through August 31st. If you're interested, you can learn more about it at my Instagram and my Twitter. The, the handle on both is Mr. French. That's M-R-F-R-3-N-C-H. It would have been easier if the E wasn't the three, but that's not how it happened. So it's M-R-F-R, the numeral three, N-C-H. Original music courtesy of Spiky Blimp. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Originally broadcast on KACRLP Alameda, underwritten by Hero Marketing, an Adweek Top 100 integrated marketing and advertising agency, creating measurable marketing programs built around target audiences in tech, fintech, and health. Learn more at heromarketing.com.